Gig Gab, episode 87 for Monday, October 24th, 2016. Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the working musicians podcast by, for, and about working musicians. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And out in Los Gatos, California, it's Paul Kent. How are you on this Monday, Paul Kent? I'm good, man. We had a, a busy weekend. We got kind of a nice uh, overcast season turning type of feel this morning. So uh, life is moving along in a beautiful way. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I, um, uh, you know, I had a week that felt somewhat normal last week, for, which was a change. As as I mentioned, I'd been in like tech week times two or extended, whatever, whatever it was. I hadn't been home for a long time. <laughs> yeah. It's not in a normal way. But yeah, last week was normal. And then we did three more uh, shows of Bitter Pill this weekend, every single one of which was sold out. So oh, nice. Congratulations. Have, yeah, thank you. We've done what? We did the preview uh, the first weekend and then three shows. So four shows the first weekend, three shows the second weekend and all but one of those Sunday last weekend was not sold out. It was maybe 75% sold Sundays never sell out. So we were shocked yesterday. Um, actually by Saturday night, Sunday show was sold out. There's some good buzz being generated and, and for good reason. I mean, it's, it's a show that's very different from what you'd get in a theater because it's, you know, it's half rock show, half performance art, uh, thing and people are really digging it and uh, lots of people are coming back multiple times and yeah yeah, yeah must be a good. strange thing that once you kind of get your momentum and you get your wings and that buzz and then it's done though well yes it will be done at this theater we actually have extended the run uh, but we can only do it by one day uh, because there's another show already booked to come in the following weekend so we've got this coming weekend is our final weekend and we'll do friday saturday sunday and i believe Friday and Saturday are already sold out uh, or close to it. And then Sunday is, is close. We added one more show on Monday because it's Halloween night. There's a big Halloween parade in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, which is where the theater is. And so we'll do a performance of this after the, um, after the parade while people are still all, you know, freaked out in their costumes and everything. So it should be good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 been fun. It's been really um, and we may we may take the show and do it elsewhere because of the type of show that it is. It's adaptable to to a different environment and, and that sort of thing. So it, it could happen at another theater. I don't want to say easily, but but it could happen. You know? But it's a thing like you have to kind of get on the planning of that now, you know, yes. now that there's the buzz, because if you wait six months, you're kind of starting from scratch again. Right? You're starting from scratch again. Yeah, no. And that's already kind of happening. There's a lot of conversations happening. And, and it's it's a true pleasure to be involved, not only with something that's that's doing so well and people that are doing, you know, I mean, all the people that are involved are just like, I mean, it's the best group of freaks you could ever find. Everybody's totally committed. But there's people. It's nice that it's not up to me. To, you know, go and like lead the charge of pushing this out there and, and doing all of that. Everybody's kind of got their roles and um, and it works. It's a good little machine. So, yeah, yeah, it's a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, nice. yeah. And it's, well, I wish you a lot of luck with it. I mean, thanks, you know, it was a lot of a lot of pressure, a lot of prep and uh, and it kind of turned out it turned out as well as you'd hoped or better than you'd hoped. Oh, better. Way, way better. I, I could I never expected it to be 
like this. I mean, there's so many different aspects of it. I mean, again, the popularity of it's been great. The buzz has been great, but um, just the way the show has gone, it it's so it's, it's truly the, the mix of all of my worlds, right? Cause it's this rock and roll thing um, and it's a rock show, but it's also this theater thing. Uh, but we have a lot of room to stretch around and uh, in some of these tunes and really play, nice. which, is, which is great. Yeah. 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 And the musicians are all great that, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's good. Hey, um, have you ever been on stage with naked people before, Paul? Let me think. Like intentionally, like, (laughs) yeah, intentionally. Uh, Well, I mean, I I guess in order to get naked, it has to be somewhat an intentional act, but I can, I can almost unequivocal, almost unequivocally state that my stages have always had clothes on them. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a number. And if you're, if you're someone who hasn't seen bitter pill yet, um, and you, you want to go and you want to be surprised, skip. We, we always put chapters in this show. If anybody doesn't know, um, and, and so your podcatcher probably will let you skip to the next chapter and then you can come back and listen to this afterwards. But there's a moment in the show where um, it, it's it's one piece of performance art and uh, we're, we're playing a song behind it. But this woman comes out on stage. It started out that she was coming out on stage topless. Um, and then one night she didn't have the right underwear to wear to make her just kind of look nude. So she just she said, screw it. And so now she just comes out completely naked. Old. Yeah. And, uh, but it's, it's not a, a sexual thing at all. Um, she comes out naked. She puts on, uh, a, a, a business suit, like a man's business suit, and then goes to the front of the stage and hammers together, um, a contraption, which she hangs from the ceiling and then hangs herself from. So it's, it's actually a very depressing kind of, wow. yeah, yeah. It's really heavy. Um, this piece, but, but she starts out naked and, you know, and that's sort of the thing. And it's, it's, it's the first time I've been on stage with someone who is intentionally naked. Uh, I actually can't see, I'm probably the only person in the building that can't see her naked when she walks out on stage because, because just because of the way the stage is built, she's sort of in a corner that, that is blocked from my view. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's interesting you know, the first time it was like, Hey, wait, cause I didn't even know it was happening. And I kind of caught it out of the corner of my eye. She sort of came around the corner. I was like, wait a minute. What's she, why come she doesn't have any clothes on? Like what's going what on the, here? What was the audience reaction? The audience loves it. Yeah. It's a heavy thing. I mean, you know, um, there have been performances where Amanda, the, the woman who's doing the piece is in tears and uh, in the middle of it. And, and the audience has been emotionally engaged, which, uh, which is good. But it's just interesting, you know. Um, well, I played play that funky music, White Boy, this weekend, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, that's great. I <laughs> <laughs> just gotta compare experiences here. <laughs> so, okay, I have another question for you. Um, have you ever worn makeup at a gig? I have never. Yeah, I I had in the past, but only once or twice for Halloween gigs, you know, because we'd we'd put on costumes or whatever. And I learned that I really hated uh, playing in makeup. And I did everything I could to politely negotiate around the band wearing makeup, you know, for for this thing. And uh, and I got all the way to the night before we opened. I was like, I'll wear a mask. I'll wear like, and so I do, I, I actually do wear a mask and a hat. You've probably seen pictures I put online, but I, but underneath the mask, they're like, yeah, you know, your eyes are still kind of too pink and bright. Like we need like face makeup on you. You know, you need to have a oh. white face and stuff I'm like, that's fine. You know, a team player. Right. 
And it's actually kind of it, I, I really enjoy it now it, because it really just having a little bit of makeup on kind of um, and I'm sure the mask and the hat sort of helps further this. But y- y- you kind of adopt a different persona. But I also find I feel like I can I can almost hide on stage if that, you know, um, and just kind of disappear into it. So yeah. I've seen bands, you know, that like some of them that played that music series that I produced. Yeah. That buy in a hundred percent costumes, makeup, guys yeah. and girls, you know, in makeup and, and, um, you know, it's not, it just, if you're a hundred percent committed to it, it's cool. Right. If you have, if you half ass it, it's sloppy. Totally. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And the, of course doing this with theater folk, there's no half assing anything, you right. know? I mean, yes. But, but that's the key is you have to buy in and, and, and there, I had to just buy in, you, you know, it was like, Oh, I tried to avoid it and all this, but in the end I realized it was totally the right call because if there, if we weren't every, this thing is sort of a Halloween type of, of vibe, the, the people, everybody in the, in the show dies. And then the second act is everybody's dead. So everybody's got, you know, essentially, you know, very pale faces because of the makeup and, and dunk, dark sunken eyes, that kind of thing. And, uh, it would look weird if, if some of us didn't have that. What was the moment when you, so you said now you're, you're into it. Yeah. What was it? Was it in the middle of playing? Was it when the lights went down in the show and you realized that you were assuming this character? Yeah. What was the, what was the moment when it just kind of dawned on you? Like, yeah, this is, this is part of buy-in. Yeah. It was probably halfway through it, the, the final night of dress rehearsal was the first night I had to wear makeup. And, uh, and it was probably halfway through the first act of that dress rehearsal where it was like, I actually really like, this is cool. Okay. I'm in fine. You know, I'll deal with it. The, the worst seems part to is having like, to take it off after the gig. <laughs> it just seems to me like, um, as you've been talking about these theater gigs over time, you just, your passion for them is growing. At first it was kind of like a technical drumming challenge. Then right. it became kind of a, kind of like a enjoyment of the teamwork that it goes to put into these things. But it seems like the art of live theater is, has grown on you. Not, like you always had an appreciation for it. Sure. But what I'm kind of interpreting when you're saying like, I'm all in, you're really like all in, like, you enjoy I, being on stage as much as in the pit if the if the if the performance calls for it and um, costumes and you know playing your part. It seems like it's kind of taken over your uh, your vibe for how you prepare for these things. It totally has, and and the and and these two shows that I've done back to back sort of accelerated down the the path very much because I was on stage for the first one. I had to be dressed appropriately. And and by the way, the freedom that I had in my outfit there was totally thanks to your house rocker shirt that you gave me. I don't think I told you this story. I showed up for rehearsal for that one and they said they were going to provide the band shirts. And uh, and so it was like, great. So I, I just happened to be wearing jeans and, and that black house rocker shirt that, that you had given me when I was out playing. And, uh, and the shirt that they had for me, I'm standing by the rack and it's this long sleeve t-shirt with tight cuffs and stuff. And I'm looking at it like, oh no, 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 this isn't (laughs) like, whoa, there's a logistical problem here. And it just so happened the director was standing right there and, uh, and I'm looking at the shirt and he's like, what's the problem? I'm like, I don't know that this shirt's going to work. And he looks at me, he's like, you look great. What's the problem? And I said, well, no, 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 no. This is what I showed up in. (laughs) You know, it's this shirt. He's like, oh, well just wear that. 
He said, that's fine. He said, I just don't want you guys looking like accountants up there. That's funny. And so I was able to wear, I, I, I then negotiated it into wearing whatever black rock t-shirt I wanted. And I wore a different one every night too. But if it weren't for that house rocker shirt, it never would have happened. So well, you're welcome. And um, I was wondering, we got like 7,000 new likes on Facebook from the New Hampshire area. So yeah. I was wondering where that came from. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I'm, I'm totally in um, to this. And I, I, I bet the next theater gig that I do where I'm relegated to the pit and, and, and all of that will feel, um, Anticlimactic. yeah, in a sense. I, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will. I, I, there, there's still the technical aspect of reading music and, and like having to get my head into it that, that, that will certainly serve for this show. I'm really not reading music at all. I've, I've memorized most of the show. It's rock tunes. And, um, so, uh, so that, you know, that's, it, th- that's not really here, but it's a, it's a different thing. Yeah. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm reflecting on what you're saying. Yeah. And it, it, what dawns on me is something that you and I have been saying to each other almost since we started this podcast is that the, the, the communication of good art has to do with truth and commitment. Yeah. Right. You know, whether we're playing a cover tune or an original tune or in a, in a pit band or in an onstage band in a musical, right. Whatever it takes to truly communicate the vibe that the music is meant to communicate, you know, we are vessels for that communication. So it, it, it makes total sense to me that that someone who gets the communication of art, it's not a long leap to right. kind of to kind of like shed any kind of preconceived notions or or discomfort in the in the interest of communicating that art. That's a great way to say, it. and and I definitely went through that. Uh, it was like, okay, yep, I just got to get over myself. Screw it. Wear the damn makeup. You know, like it's fine. And now it's great. Like I, there was one night where um, I put, I do my white face kind of thing myself. And then um, uh, Amanda actually helps me do my, my eyes because these people know far more about applying makeup than I do. And it's just much more efficient. And there was one night where she was too busy. And, and so it was like, Oh crap, my eyes aren't going to be black tonight. Like that's going to suck. Like, and so I asked somebody else and they helped me and it was all fine. But yeah, it was like, wait a minute. Now that I'm in, I, yeah. I don't want to like, th- there's no reason to take a step back. Yeah. Well, once upon a time, I think what you and I shared with each other is that there are great rewards on the other side of your comfort zone. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Oh, I like that, man. So I've had some, um, I've had some, some issues with the show though, as, as there always are some technical issues. Um, the other night, I was in the middle of playing and my hi-hat completely fell apart, like my hi-hat clutch. And there was no, like, it's not like a rock show where you, you, you have enough flexibility maybe to ask the singer, you know, Hey man, like talk to the crowd for 30 seconds while I fix this in between songs. That's not the vibe of this particular show. I mean, if something were totally to happen, that's catastrophic, it would actually be more acceptable in in this bitter pill thing than it would be say in in like a traditional theater show but there really isn't room for that we all the songs just flow into each other it happens very very you know naturally and uh and then we had two songs that were actually segued and uh and i needed my hi-hat to work especially for the second one so i'm trying to fix it in the middle of the first one and I drop the, cl- I'm playing brushes, right? So I've got one brush in my teeth. I take my hi-hat apart with my left hand, still playing brushes with my right hand. <laughs> oh yeah. 
And I didn't know it at the time, but after the gig, a, a guy or after the show, a guy came up and said, oh, hey, I'm a drummer. I'm like, oh, did you see that? He's like, actually, I did. He's like, most people probably were looking at whatever was happening on stage. He said, but being a drummer, you know, I always kept half an eye on you. And, and I said, did it, did it screw anything up? He's like, no, it was awesome. You know, <laughs> but I had to, yeah, I had to like totally rebuild my hi-hat clutch. Uh, you know, I got to ask mid-song. you this because, yeah. well, this, I find this with Joe quite a bit, like, Drums are physical, you know, yeah. moving part type things. And um, I'm, I've almost never played with a drummer where at some point there's either, a, you know, a, a kick drum pedal yep. or a hi-hat or something that goes out of jigger. Yep. Or the, the set starts to move in ways that are unexpected. Yes. Are there like, are there like top three tips to, you know, keep your kit, you know, make, make it through a show without your drums giving you a problem? Yeah. Yeah, actually, there there are. And and the hi-hat thing is the first one. I had noticed over the – not noticed. I had had to deal with my hi-hat clutch falling apart over the previous two nights. And I didn't stop and, like, rebuild the thing. And rebuilding it just means kind of taking it apart and, and resetting all the, the little screws and pieces uh, until it, all, like, totally fell apart. So that's, that's one of them is, like, get your hi-hat clutch together. Usually the bottom nut that's on it – you want that tightened all the way up into the clutch so that it kind of locks in and then you adjust how, how loose you want it by the top nut. Um, so, and, and that's what was happening is I just wasn't, I was, I was dealing with sort of fixing the bottom one, but not doing it from, from scratch. Uh, and right. then I had to do it in the middle of the gig, which was great. Um, <laughs> yep. You're um, I always go around to my drums and tighten. You'll know, I mean, it, every drum kit's going to be a little bit different, but going around and tightening things like the, the wing nuts on cymbal stands or, or, or those types of things, especially if it's wintertime, you're moving it in from the cold into the heat or, or vice versa, right, in the summer. If there's massive temp- temperature differentials, if I notice my head's going out of tune, that's kind of a mental trigger to, oh, wait a minute, check all your wing nuts because those things are going to start to fall. And then um, make sure you've got the spurs on your bass drum dug in deep because, like you said, having that thing start to drive away from you. I had that problem. In fact, at, at your at the gigs I played with you, that the Saturday gig, the, they didn't really have a drum rug. They had a packing blanket yeah. for me. And packing blankets aren't like rugs. They stretch. And um, and so that bass drum was driving away from me and the hi-hat was driving away from me the whole all four sets. Um, it's really frustrating, isn't it? it? I mean, it's frustrating. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy to get in the way of the momentum of a set. And it's just right. frustrating because it's your instrument, right? It's because it's your instrument. Yeah, you're trying to play and even mid-song, like the thing's just dancing away. And it's like, all right, well, now I now I have to kind of, you know, keep playing, but lose. I have to step out of the, the, the groove for a little bit and, and fix this. And now I can, you know, sink back in. So, yeah. 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 And then that same night, um, we finished the gig. And I use in-ears for this one uh, so that I can hear some of the piano and the vocals and stuff. We're, we're playing it fairly uh, – it's actually moderate volume is what I'll call it. It's a small theater. Uh, we're, you know, everybody's playing – I mean, I'm playing drums with sticks, but I'm not, like, really laying into them. It, we're, we keep it good. It, I mean, the, the actually, we got really lucky with the sound in there. But um, but I use in-ears. A lot of times, and, and on this particular night, I only put one in, so I had my left ear in and uh, got to the end of the gig and – I was like, all right, well, let me pack up my ears and I pull my, um, you know, I start to pull my ears out and I realize this is my ultimate ears, seven pros. The right earpiece had fallen off of the cable. I was like, oh, okay. 
I've seen this, you know, whatever. Like, so I'm just carefully, I don't want to step on it and crush it, you know, cause it's probably fallen to the floor. So I'm like kind of patting myself down, like, where did it fall? Nowhere. And I, to this day, I still haven't found it. Oh no. Yeah. And it's possible, you know, before the gig, I walked out to my car to, to get something. And I think that was after I put my ears on. So it's possible it fell out by the car. Of course, that was the night that here in Portsmouth, we had um, tons and tons of rain. I mean, like torrential downpour to the point where it, it was there was a foot of water next to my, like where my car was. Thankfully, my car's high, high up enough off the ground that I could drive out. So if it had fallen by my car, it wouldn't have just been sitting there. It, you know, it would have been in the river. Um so I lost an earpiece once and it's really, it, well, Hey, it's just it sucks. It's expensive. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. So that's one thing. And, um, but, uh, you know, I talked to the folks at ultimate ears. Mm. I told them what was going on because the, the cable was coming out of the earpiece and yeah. I don't know what they did, whether they crimped it for me or whatever they did, but I haven't had a problem in a really, really long time. That's good. Yeah. I, I got to contact them and, and, you know, find out about a replacement and all that stuff. But, um, but yeah, it was like, man, but th- I did have an, uh, there was a, a nice, uh, there's always a silver lining, right? And I always try to look for that. So, you know, the next day I thought, well, even though I don't use the right ear piece, I got to make sure that I have like a full set of ears with me in theater. And um, when I, when I first met, in fact, we talked about this last week with Jerry Harvey, when, when I first met him and, and he was with ultimate ears was when they were making the UE five C's, which was their first custom fits specifically geared towards listening to music like produced music as opposed to the live stuff eq'd a little bit differently and they made me a set of ue5c's that didn't fit they didn't seal quite right and so they they bulked up the mold or whatever and and sent me another um another set but i had always kept that that first those first ones around because why throw them away and i thought wait a minute i'll bring the right piece from that and it won't seal in my ear, but maybe that's actually good because I want a little bit of bleed from the room, which is the whole reason I wasn't putting the right one in anyway. And so it's actually worked out well. I've been wearing two ears for every show since then. So that's funny. Silver so maybe lining. you just cater new product for them. I, yeah, I kind of, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I mean, like I said, silver, I still got to get it replaced, but it really sucks because those are my favorite ones. But, um, you know. Life happens. I think I've had them for 10 years and whatever. They don't owe me anything. You know, I mean, the ears don't owe me anything. They've, you know, they've served me well, but it just sucks to lose stuff. But, it you know, does. You know. And um, one more logistical thing. For the first time on stage uh, last night, I used a click to help me start a song. We've had one tune where it's Billy's newest tune. It's called, a tune called Syria. Um and we've just been trying to find the right tempo for it. And then I wound up changing instruments. I was playing a, a Dumbek initially. And then one night we kind of jammed on it as a sound check. And I was on the drum set. And we all were like, mm, maybe that one, maybe I need to stay on drum set for that. So it just, you know, different instrument, different time sense on it. And we were just having trouble finding the right tempo. So we found it before the gig. And um, I use this app called Fourscore on my iPad uh, to, you know, to kind of keep track of the, all the shows that I do. And so on that page, I put a, uh, I put a little metronome on it at the right tempo and I, I did a visual, it, it'll flash like the, the margin of the page. And right. so I had it flash for 10 measures of four just to, you know, just to get me started. And, uh, and it worked out brilliantly. It got the, we were right in the right pocket. Everything was good. Didn't have to stop and think about, okay, where does it need to be? Cause we kind of have to segue into that song pretty quickly. Um, and it really, really worked well. So here's an interesting question. Yeah. 
is 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 tempo an absolute thing? So when you say you set this for a certain thing, mm-hmm. if the energy of the performers is different on one night, or if the energy in the room is different one night, do you think tempo is absolute, or would you say, oh, you know, feels like tonight we should we should push this a little bit? Well, it, 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 not no, your call, I, it's right. It's not, and and for this particular show, there, I mean, there, it's not just about us. There are performers, and on this song, there's no dancers, but there are some songs with dancers, and so you have to be really sensitive to like what they're, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, what they're doing and what they're capable of doing and all that stuff. But um, surprisingly, we're we're not having any any real trouble with that, thankfully, um, on those songs where there are. But this one. Um, yeah, we, we wound up pushing it too much and, and it was tough for Billy to play and sing on guitar. So, um, and, and we were finishing the song before the, you know, kind of before the, the performance was ending. So there were a lot of reasons to, to like say, okay, yeah, wait a minute, we got to pull this back. And, and we, and finally, like I said, last night we used it and it was great, but it was the slowest we've ever played it. And I even, I didn't know because the way the way we're set up actually Billy has his back to me a lot of the time, and uh, so we I didn't know till we got to the end of the act. I said, well, so how was the tempo? He's like, oh, it was amazing. It was perfect. I'm like, oh, great. So all right, we don't need to adjust it. No problem. But yeah, it's it was it's nice because there are like like you said there are those things where adrenaline gets you know in the system or you just don't have time to stop and feel it before you start the song and that to me that's the easiest way to get the tempo right is to just take a breath and like start moving your body it's like okay yeah that's where this song needs to be great yeah you know don't trust your brain trust your body your body knows a lot more about it um for me anyway than than your than my brain does well you know i'm going to use that as a transition to tell you a little bit about the gig that i had this weekend yeah go ahead so we played a Saturday night, a really, really nice club in Redwood City, California called Club Fox. Um, beautiful club, nice stage, great sound system. Um, we did good. You know, again, it's a club that has all different types of music. Doesn't have dance music every night. They have tribute bands many times. They have a lot of blues acts that come through there. Um, and we had a draw. Well, we had a draw of 93 paid people plus comps and guests and uh, everything. So probably about. 115, 120 people. So the room was, was okay full. Nice. nice room. I mean, really, really first class. They cheated the band great. And we're playing. And uh, I'm starting to think about our set list. You know, we've, we've had a lot of discussions on the show about set lists. And I'm kind of at this point where we've played so much over the past several months. You know, I'm a little bored with some of the stuff we do. I recognize some of the stuff we do that I'm bored of is stuff that works every night. And I realize it's not always about me, (laughs) but you know, and sometimes, you know, interestingly in talking to some of our fans, they, they look forward to hearing the stuff, even if they've heard it every night. I mean, it still makes them feel a certain way when, you know, they get out to dance with some of this stuff. And so we've been thinking about, you know, how much are we going to turn our show over next year? And the interesting thing is finding songs that work as good as your best songs. Like, you know, I think all our songs are pretty darn good, but you know, every time you play September by earth, wind and fire, the dance floor fills up every single time. It's going to work every time. There are a lot of songs that are good. You know, we talk about the rock and roll, Facebook, uh, fake, uh, fake book, or what do you call it? General business. GB. GB. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, That's what they call it here. Yeah. You know, these are stuff that you can play and always be in the game, but every band has their, their slam dunk. Right. Of course. Yeah. And the issue in turning over the set list is finding more songs that can be your hits. Yep. Um, some of them develop over time, and that's why they're your hits. Some of them, 
because they work, the band gets into playing them and they become your hits. But this is the thing that I'm thinking about for next year is, you know, some of these songs I am blood teary bored playing with. I mean, I'm not going to call out any of the individual tunes because sure. that doesn't matter. But, the you know, I, I would imagine everybody kind of thinks about this stuff. And I, I think about wanting to keep things fresh, the energy that the band gets from from going over with new material, um, the excitement of, you know, getting great feedback from your audience. Oh, you guys played some new stuff. I loved it. That's that's all part of the juice for me. And I guess the other side of it is, hey, you're hired to do a job, make them happy, play your hits would be one way to think about it. But I'm actually more like I think, you know, our set lists are kind of organic things. We have our good songs. We have our songs that are, you know, fun to play on nights when it's not going to be a dancing night or parts yeah. of the night where it's not going to be. Done. Yeah. And then we have our home runs, finding songs and really thinking hard because you get a little bit. I don't want to say lackadaisical. You rest on the tendency is to rest on your laurels that you can always pull these songs out. So they're always kind of hanging around. And then you end up always pulling those songs out. That's the problem. You want to go over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So my question is because you, you, you touched on this. Some of your hits are instant hits out of the great, out of the gate, right? When, when you introduce them to the band, you play them, you rehearse them up, you play them the first time. Boom. Like you said, the dance floor just fills, but some of them develop into those hits over time. And so the question is, when you're trying to either add more hits or refresh your hit list, um, how long do you give those songs before you give up on them and just say, screw it, go back to, you know, the, let's play September. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, like how 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 many gigs do you give them before and, and, and how do you make sure everybody is committed to at least giving that song, whatever the new one is a fair shake at actually becoming a hit. Cause if you're playing it question. and saying, I wish we were playing September, well then that's never going to work. <laughs> you know? Um, so for me, um, we start out and we've learned, you know, 15 new songs. They make their way into the set list in some gradual process. I rarely will just throw every new song into, into of course, the show. Sure. Um, but I try to get as many in and then, you know, you play them and then you're learning two things. One, how does the band play it? And two, how does the audience react to it? And I'll give you a good example. You know, we played Born to Run. Yeah. We so play, you and I Run, played that together. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, Born to Run, I, you know, obviously one of my favorite songs of all time. And I thought it would be a great show closer. But the band wasn't quite there. They don't love Born to Run quite as much as me. And so it didn't feel quite that, you know, that passion that I need to feel out of that song. Yep. So we played Born of One for a while. It would go over good in some places. It would, it would, you know, I wouldn't say clear the dance floor. I mean, you know, there's always someone who knows Born to Run. But, and then I took it out of the set list for a while. And then just kind of left it on the shelf for a while. And then, you know, the stars line up and it's the right place to kind of pull it off the shelf and see what happens. Did absence make the heart grow fonder for the song? Sure. And, and it found its way. It's found its way into the right place in our set list. It's not a closing song because it's not as big an emotional thing for everybody. You know, again, th these things are kind of organic. Yeah. You know, I, I think I have a, I have a band of very good players, but that doesn't mean that every song will be interpreted away. And then there are the songs that automatically happen. And then there's the songs where one part of the band is killing on it so much and inspires the rest of the band. So it's all yep. these kind of moving targets of, of, of uh, variables, you know, that you're trying to figure out when will the stars line up and a song become that song for you. So the answer to your question is, you know, you, you put it in the set, you try and find a good, you know, sensible place in the set. 
you're kind of feeling for how the band feels about the song live, how the audience feels about the song live, how the band reacts to how the audience feels about the song live. You know, that's another thing is like, you know, your band gets a certain amount of juice from the energy that the audience gives to it. Right. And I, you know, I'll get feedback like, no, people were into it. They were, you know, they might not have been dancing. We play um, real world by matchbox 20. Yeah. I think we played and that together too. Yeah, exactly. It, you know, it's, um, it's a very tight song. It's a good pop song. Um, we added a really clever horn arrangement to it that kind of oomphs it. I totally um, agree. Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's not one that people get thrilled to dance to on many nights. It's not good enough for me to put it in like in the home stretch of our set list right. where we're cruising. Um, and so you put, I tend to put it in the first third of the set and or first third of the show. And um, you know, you know, when you get that vibe that people have walked off the dance floor, you feel like it's a failure. But then I'll get guys in the band saying, no, 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 people were listening to it and they were bopping their heads and smiling. There was a connection on it, but it didn't set up the dance vibe in the same way that others think. And again, if your only pass fail is did people dance to it, then, you know, you can get data fairly quickly. But if your pass fail is like what kind of an experience do we give people listening to us over the course of an evening? There's a lot of other things to consider as well. Have, have you have you just, have you thought about doing a focus group? Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> this is it, right? No, I know it's um, yeah, yeah. Because there are those songs I, I call those the the straight ahead songs. Some songs categorize some of those straight ahead songs can can move up one notch into what I call keep them up songs. They're not going to be the ones that get people to the dance floor, but if they're there, you know they'll stay. They'll they'll tolerate that song, right? Yeah. But some songs aren't that. They're just straight ahead rock songs, and it's like, oh, I like this song. Let's go get a beer. You know. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah, I, I, that tough. article that you posted was really interesting about that over about fish and the commitment to each other to not overanalyze each other and and you know what's going on. Yeah, That's a, that was really a good read. I, you know, you should post that in the show notes for this week. But for those who haven't read it yet, uh, Dave on our Gig Gab um, community board on Facebook posted an article about fish. It was a Rolling Stone. Yeah, it was Rolling Stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was about how fish is um, enjoying this renaissance. And one of the reasons for the Renaissance is they had their come to Jesus meeting and they agreed to a few things, almost, almost most important. I guess they're all important, but, but certainly foremost of these things is the no analysis agreement, which means on their breaks or, you know, even between shows, you're not going to talk about someone else's playing or decision making uh, on stage. Um, you're going to get out of the business of that. And I guess when, you know, when a band's been together X amount of years, you know, I think that that's a reasonable thing. Everybody, yeah. is responsible for you themselves. And- you couldn't do that in a band that's six months old. I don't think. I mean, maybe you could, but well, it, it, this is what I posted there: is that the, the problem with the analysis is like the problem in any organization is that you have some guys who are over analytical, you mm-hmm. have some guys who are oversensitive. If the guy who's over analytical is is far too blunt a communicator, that his message gets lost in in a, in a bunch of hard feelings, right? You're not getting it done. So the analysis, you know, I, I used to read about Springsteen when he was young and he was on the road. He would he would tape every show and on the bus to the next show, he would listen to the tape right. and, you know, make his notes about what he, what he wanted to do. So, again, in a, in a democratic environment, that seems rife with issues if you just assume the, the, the basic human interactions that you're always going to have one guy who's a little bit overbearing, one guy who's a little bit sensitive, yeah. you know, different levels of listening, uh, you know, active listening or active communicating. But um, I think you need to understand the vibe of your band. Some guys are way more forgiving 
if someone's a jerk and they're like, oh, he doesn't mean it that way. Sure. Or other people, we don't know he does mean it that way. So right, right. That, that analysis thing is a slippery slope to go down, you know, depending upon the trust and love and um, trust is the best word. Yeah. If you, you know, like in my band, I have a guy who says we have to be able to talk about these things. Yeah. But if it's going to make someone bummed out and walk out of rehearsal, we haven't accomplished anything. Right. 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 So no, that that's true. I, 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 you know, looking at, I mean, taking Springsteen and fish as the examples. I, I think neither of those bands would have gotten, would have had successful careers if they didn't have uh, an insane analyst in the band that was constantly tweaking things and crafting this vision of what it is they present to audiences. Right. And so I think like fish, there's absolutely no way that if Trey wasn't this overbearing, you know, just crazy guy that, that has all these crazy ideas, but really wants to be inclusive of everyone. If, if, if he wasn't that way, fish never would have gotten off the ground. Right. And I, and I think probably the same is true with Springsteen, although I don't know nearly as much about uh, his history. The process of refining your product yeah. is, is kind of a universal, you know, that's how you get better. That you have you to just refine. Yeah. Yes. But and what so I'm saying is 30 I years would, in is different yeah. than, than th- 30 days in. Right. And I, and I, so I, yeah, I saw that no analysis thing and I'm like, oh, I get it. And, and, and thinking back on some fish shows, it's like, oh, I've actually seen both sides of this. I remember them coming out for second sets and being like, you know, totally playing it safe and all of that stuff. It's like, this is weird. This isn't the band we saw for the first set that was totally raging and like anything goes. And this was amazing. In fact, there was there was often a feeling that if you got a great first set, you might as well just go home because the second set's going to suck. And uh, and now that doesn't happen anymore. Which is interesting, right? It's but it, and it's because these conversations aren't happening, at least in yeah. part. Um, but I, I don't think you could. I don't think you could do that. I mean, this is a band. Fish is a band that actually rehearsed jamming together. They they created exercises to make sure everyone was listening to each other and hearing everything. So that's at the foundation of what they do now. That's just automatic for them, right? But they spent years literally years learning how to jam together and learning how to listen. And I think without that driving maniacal obsession, those rehearsals wouldn't have happened. And I don't think fish would, would be a successful band. Yeah. I hear you. You know, it's, uh, but it depends on all the personalities. Cause if somebody takes that the wrong way, like you said, it craters it, but then that's the wrong person for those are the two wrong people to work together. Well, that's what I'm saying. You know, we'll take fish. Yeah. If the drummer for Fish couldn't handle the direct communication he was having, and he left, and another guy was the drummer for Fish, right. would Fish be Fish? No, they'd be a different band. Now, they might be successful. Uh, they might not. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So you can change any one part. It could have unintended uh, law. Of unintended course. Law. Of course. Well, and any, I would say in my any band, successful band, is it, it, there is a perfect storm, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's the right Beatles. people. Right. It's the right people at the right time in the right place. Yeah. Right. I mean, there's so much of that. So if the wrong person or again, I don't want to single it out because it's often just two people that can't work together. But if you have that in your band, well, then it's just dead. You know, that's it. Oh, well, (laughs) my band 17 years down the road, the vibe has changed in the way that we've communicated to each other. Again, the interest of wanting the band to be the best it can be. Some people might speak up in a certain tone with a certain passion 
Um, but I, I would say you, you, it is, it's an organic thing. You mature your band, your band personality, your, your band's band members mature and learn that, you know, especially as you get going and you yeah. go, you know, we've got a pretty good thing here. It needs some caretaking now, in addition to the, you know, whatever level of analysis you're going to do, caretaking becomes a part of how do I encourage somebody to get the best thing out of them as opposed to calling them out on what right. they didn't. No, that's so, totally true. It's and, a style. Well, and it, you're right though. Once, once you have a level of success and whatever that metric is to you, you, you know, that that's fine. But once you have that, you now have a different priority, right? Because like you said, caretaking becomes a part of it. In the beginning, it's, well, there's nothing yet to take care of. We don't exactly. even, we don't know what's going to happen. So yeah, there is this sort of natural evolution of, all right, we, A, we've, in the process of this, of getting successful, we've learned how to deal with each other. And now B, we also don't want to rock the boat too much because, hey, we've got a good thing going, you know. So yeah, I, I get it. I see where it came from. Yeah. And it's smart. I mean, it, it, if that's what it takes to, for those guys to do what they're doing and having fun with it, then great. No problem. I think it's actually kind of the fun part of the journey is you you have a team yeah, and you grow up together as people, you grow up together as musicians and you have different things to share with your music. I mean, you know, a guy who's had his first child later in life and is going through that and you've had a child earlier in life and you get to see a guy going through, you know, just the human growth that comes through with being a parent and how it adds to their music or subtracts to their music potentially. But, you know, that's that's actually part of the joy of, of playing in a band. And, and um, if you really, you know, again, I can't I can't imagine playing in a band where it was strictly a business that these were the best guys to play the notes. You know, I, I have to have some yeah. connection to the guys that I make music with. Yeah. I, you know, I understand there's other people where, you know, that's not the way they're built. It's not about friendship. It's about it's about, you know, do we get the job done? Yeah, but, but even me, there, the, the, a human connection can be made because of that. Right. You know, right. You've got it's all business. These are the best players. You go out, you kick ass. Okay. well, now, hey, look, we all just kicked ass together. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And I mean, instantly there begins to be this 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 thing where it's like, oh, cool. We get to know each other, too. Awesome. You know, business first. There's nothing wrong with that. But I don't think it's possible. I don't I've never experienced it where. Even on like a hired gun gig, by the end of it, you're not like I'm I like I'm emotionally committed by the end of uh, even just one gig. But that, I, I imagine, you know, music is that type of thing, but there are, there are those kind of hired gun yeah. people who are like, you know, I'm coming in, I'm playing my notes and I'll see you next time. Yeah. I mean, that does exist, but I know. Yeah, being, no, you're right. It does. That's yeah. not, that's not a guy in a band. Right. And right. so my point being is that in a band is a journey and, you know, on that journey, you have a whole bunch, you know, whether it's a three piece band, five piece band, 10 piece band, it is a, you know, it's a lifelong pursuit of connecting with something that's inside of you to get it out of you. And the things that happen in your life are part and parcel of that wealth of uh, wellspring of uh, inspiration. I, I find that to be kind of the joy, you know, in my band um, we we've had guys, you know, I haven't had anyone pass away from my band, but I've had guys with best friends pass away. We've had divorces, we've had, you know, people meet and get married and it's been, you know, a very emotional um, thing to see how those things bring bring meaning to people's music, how they yeah. perform their music. And it's, it's, to me, it's it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it becomes a family, you know, or an extended family, true. if you will. That's very yeah. true. Yeah, yeah. So next week we have um, a cool guest that's going to sit in. Um, Roberto Hernandez is a musician in the Bay Area here who actually 
is pursuing his passion and move to Panama um, because he likes Panama. And in part of this, um, or right before he moved, he wrote um, a really interesting book on uh, on how to get gigs that's just about to come out. You'll be able to get it as an ebook. But Roberto contacted us and he wants to come and talk about his experiences in interviewing musicians about how to get more gigs. And uh, we'll have him as a guest next week. That's awesome. I I, I mean I knew. I knew that he was coming on the show. I did not know that part of his story until just now. So I'm looking forward to chatting with him. It'll be fun. He did a lot of work on this book. He did a really good job. Huh? Very, very cool. Very cool. All right. Well, I think that's it. That's all I got for this week. Paul, you got anything else? Uh, That's a good one. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening, folks. Be sure to join us. Our our Facebook uh, group is doing quite well. You can uh, get there. GigGapPodcast.com slash Facebook will redirect you to the to the group page and we'll see you there. Otherwise, yeah. Always be performing. See you, Paul. Always be performing. Bye.